Linux Out Loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expand upon. We keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. This week, we're spouting off about content creation going open source. Let's get into episode 32. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. With me today are my two fantastic co-hosts, Matt and Nate. How are you guys? Well, I'm great. I do want to say, though, I keep the banter friendly. Matt doesn't keep the banter friendly. Oh, I hear what goes on <laughs> behind the recording. It's a bit of both. Oh, no, no. I'm a perfect <laughs> angel. I would never say anything mean to anybody ever. 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 Never. Never happens. Never in a billion gajillion years. I'll let the objective person behind all of this say otherwise, Wendy's correct. Uh, <laughs> in fairness, <laughs> she's the one that has to hear the banter over and over and edit it all out. So she would be the objective party here, Nate. Well, I don't edit all of it out. I just edit out the banter that is not appropriate for the show. Yes, but... but mostly Matt. Still hilarious. But having done the audio editing also, I understand that... <laughs> Hearing the same banter over and over and over again about for the 15th time really does make you want to delete it. Yes, there are times that I'm like, oh my gosh, get over it, guys. Move on. You mean get over it, Matt? No, it's usually get over it, Nate. See, this is the stuff she wants to not have to edit, Nate. Now you're just making more work. Thank All you. Right. You're right. I'm sorry. I'll shut my mouth. No, you won't because you got a show to do. Oh, that's and right. And you got a portable monitor for your laptop. I'm kind of curious about... The one you got and how well is it working? Yes, I got a 14-inch 1080p portable USB-C powered monitor for my laptop. This isn't the first monitor I got like this. However, this is the first one I got that actually worked. I had to return the other one. It's just garbage. Anyway, so what I got, it's a Arzopa monitor, 1080p full HD. It has two USB-C ports on it and one like the mini HDMI port, not the micro, the mini. It works great. It's the exact same, well, nearly the exact same size as my monitor lid. As a portable monitor, it just works absolutely fantastic. What I did, though, is it's nice to have the monitor, you know, to the side, I guess. Most normal people do that, and that makes total sense. However, I don't consider myself in the category of normal. So I created some brackets. I designed them in FreeCAD and printed them off on my 3D printer to hold the monitor, the portable monitor, on top of my laptop's monitor so that I can have my information stacked. To me, it works a lot better stacking the monitors. So I have to, you know, stack 1080p screens. Makes it better for managing information. I was actually doing editing with Caden Live, spanning it across the two monitors, which actually worked fantastically well. The one problem I do have is that monitor is a little bit too much weight for the hinges to hold it at really any kind of an angle. Now, it's, it's at a natural angle that I'm fine with. The top monitor is 15 degrees tilted toward you from what the lower monitor is. And so that all, it works fine. But if that monitor starts to tilt back where the top monitor isn't... Um, perpendicular to the ground, then the hinges can't actually hold it or actually take the whole computer back. I do need to make another little thing to just basically support my monitor. Normal people probably would just not do this and I get it, but I like it. It works well for me. It's great for a quick temporary setup in the kitchen when I have to work in the kitchen for whatever reason. And then I can quickly set that up, use it, and I can tear it back down you know, very quickly. There's no additional cables really strung about aside from the one cable that goes from the monitor to the computer. I absolutely love this idea. And I think it's probably one of the biggest downsides of using a laptop, especially a laptop for working, is I just don't have enough screen real estate. And that was even the case when I was showing my daughter some of the Python code 
and talking her through some of the bits and pieces that we had written for the current robot configuration was on that little screen, there's just not enough room to show the things that I would like to show in one go. But I'm really used to my two 32-inch monitors that I have all of this real estate, can have multiple things up, and it's now become pretty necessary in my workflow. So laptops are essentially harder to use without that screen real estate. And this grants you that access, but still keeps it extremely portable. I love the look of this. I can definitely see how it would be too heavy, though for the current setup. Yeah, I, I really like using it a lot. It really is fantastic for just a quick setup and I can move it around wherever I need it. It's not a setup I can use with it on my lap, like on a couch. That's just not going to work because you move too much and it's right. going to fall over. Maybe with some kind of kickstand to be fine, but then you're getting to like that goofy surface territory where you have to be back up on a surface anyway. So on a right. hardened surface, a table. Again, for like temporary mobile workstation setup, you know, let's say you want to go to a Starbucks or something and want to look like a real goof, you could definitely do this and get away with it. And it's nice <laughs> that it's not like side by side because you have a gap between the bezels of the monitors when they're side by side on, you know, with a laptop. And to me, that's just kind of annoying. Right. Yeah. I prefer this annoyance a little bit more than the other annoyance. Well, it looks like it works well. I am curious how you will solve the weight issue, whether maybe it's putting a brace behind the lower monitor or whatnot. But I really like the setup and I love the design that you've done to be able to 3D print these. Yeah, it's super basic. It really is. It's easy to print. I printed it so it would be very simple. I'm going to print another set of brackets only because I'm tightening some of the tolerances and want to get some of the um, slop out of it. There's a little bit of slop that I want to, just for my own edification. The very first design worked. The second design worked better. And the third one will just work even better. Now, it would be cool if I had a more clever way of keeping the rear monitor actually attached to it and then like sliding it up or something like that. But I'm not going to spend that kind of engineering time to do something that I'm not going to use all that often anyway, just here and there. Perfect solution. I'm I'm assuming you will be sharing those files once you have it cleaned up exactly the way you like it. I will. I'll put those on Thingiverse or something, or at least on my website when I'm ready to talk about it. But I don't know how well it's going to work for other people because essentially it's the design for my monitor and this portable monitor. And there's so many variations out there. So you'd have to just adjust the thickness of the gap. But I imagine most laptop screens are probably about seven or eight millimeters in thickness with the lid. Maybe not. Yeah. And then 10 millimeters for the lower part of the portal monitor. It's a FreeCAD file. So all I have to do is just adjust the gap and then that would solve it for you, assuming FreeCAD doesn't blow up. Well, though. I haven't ever had that experience, but I have very, very little experience with FreeCAD. Though I'm excited to see that it would be, of course, a FreeCAD file because I know I found other things that I've wanted to adjust Sometimes doing that isn't always easy with a file shared. Right. Sometimes a, a step file or STL, you can't do much with it. So yeah. this will make it a little bit exactly. easier for somebody. Well, Matt, I'm guessing instead of making something, you broke something to get another backup phone, or is this in preparation for you breaking something? <laughs> a little bit of both. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I know you had that flip phone. Did you break that already? I did break something. On the flip phone, but not the flip phone. Mm. Just because of the type of work that I do, my phone is always needs to be near me, on me, you know, whatever. I've had the Sonom XP8, which is meant for industrial workers, but it's a brick. I mean, we're talking, you know, 
quarter inch thick at least kind of phone but it's a brick that makes phone calls so but i don't generically use my phone for phone calls it's a brick that does things it's a brick that does communication i will put it that way um, <laughs> but it's not a brick at least is that like build a bear no it's not a little brick five. Oh, oh okay i gotcha i to leave it at that Basically, the short version was I have a hard case around the Motorola Razor that I currently use as my daily driver. Well, that about dang near shattered. Like, not the phone, but the case. It was just one of those smash, case gone kind of situation. Oh, that sounds exciting. It's a cheap $10, $15 case. No, it's not that big of a deal, but it, it got me thinking. It's like, I really don't have like an updated phone because I think the Sonom stopped at June 2020 for security updates. That was why, or June 2021 for security updates. That's why I don't use it, generically speaking. There's not a lot of options when it comes to like backup phones because they're either running really old version of Android. Wendy, sorry, I'm not into roaming. I'm, I'm kind of a lazy end user when it comes to that. For me, it's finding that happy medium where things are new but not old. I ended up getting the Blue Bold N2, which recently came out like last month. Now, I'm not saying Blue has the best track record when it comes to phone updates because they don't. <laughs> But the price was halfway decent, and that was more where I was looking at it. It was about $250 for a 5G phone, which outright cost isn't horrible. It had halfway decent specs. It was a, you know, 8 gigs of RAM, 256 gigs of storage, MediaTek, Dimensity, like 810, which is like a octa-core processor, whatever. I didn't really care about that stuff. The price, the 5G, and the fact that if it does break, I'm not as inclined to want to cry <laughs> was the biggest thing for me. Right. Right. Did you pick this up used or new? This is brand new. So Blue is like a budget brand for the most part. I know I've seen them around. The bold line of Blue is more experimental, kind of more upper mid-range. It would probably be the best way to describe them. Right. I think six different cameras on as an example. Like two of them are depth sensors, so they really don't count. But oh. a, a little more design focused, a little more techie. So it has things like the in-screen fingerprint reader, and but it's got the dual cameras on the front for like that bokeh effect if you want the bokeh stuff or portrait mode or uh, whatever. Right, yeah. Which I don't. So I really don't care. Like that stuff didn't interest me, but like what I love about Blue though is they also include things. So there's like fast charging, which is also cool. It's a fairly large phone. I'm not going to lie. I think it's a 6.6 inch screen. So it's not a tiny phone, but it includes things like a case and, you know, a charger for the phone, which is a novel idea. Oh, they also give you adapters for headphones. They also do one further. They gave you USB-C headphones with the phone. So it's not just the adapter. They also gave the phone. Oh, wow. There's small stuff like that. That's like, oh, okay, cool. Like I'm not a big in-ear headphone guy. Like that's just not my thing, but cool that it includes it. They pre-apply like custom screen protector to the phone when they ship it so you don't even have to mess around with that so you don't have like you know bubbles and everything else that you would normally have with a phone there's stuff like that that i do like like it's not obviously going to be the highest spec phone but for what it is if i break it like if i break my main phone i don't feel like okay i had to compromise on things like security and all the other stuff it is running an older version of android but there's been issues with android 12 across the board this is last i looked i haven't checked i think it was it shipped with the July update for the security update. 
which is not bad for a smaller boutique kind of Android OEM phone maker. I'm fine with that. Their track record for updating phones, not so good, but you know, whatever. <laughs> I've had blue devices in the past. They're good, but they're, they do have their problems, but this is a clean version of Android. There's not, there's no pre-installed stuff that you can't uninstall, which I'm totally fine with. Well, that's nice. Clean version of Android. There's not a lot of like Motorola extra stuff that I personally like, you know, there's not the double chop for the flashlight and all that kind of stuff. Overall, I've really been enjoying it. I've been testing it out as my daily driver for uh, a couple of days right now. Weak speakerphone though, I will say that, but it's a motto speakerphone. So yeah, again, 250 bucks compromise worth getting if you need a backup phone or if you need a phone in a hurry and you know want a halfway decent phone that is not something that you have to drop you know two hundred dollars on on ebay or what was the other app that you started using wendy was it wayfair i think swaba swaba is my favorite place to get used devices yep when it comes to android basically heels has always been the software support so finding a halfway decent updated phone is kind of nice not gonna lie what was the bokeh effect you were talking about earlier bokeh portrait mode call it whatever you want all it does is basically it takes and blurs out the background and highlights oh, the, okay. the forefront like, all right it has two of those type of cameras one for the selfie and one for the, the main in photography then you could start talking about the quality of the bokeh or the shape of the bokeh which makes a big difference to camera nerds but the main thing is you have two different sensors, so it can sense what's in the foreground and what's in the background, yeah. and then use an algorithm in order to blur the background for you. And I'm just going to say, the main camera's fine, the main selfie's fine. It's a $250 mid-range phone. So like, go in it with those expectations. You say mid-range phone, I'm looking at some of the specs. It has eight gigabytes of RAM. I mean, that's a lot for a phone. So does my flip phone. That's a high-end uh, Motorola, whatever. Ironically, I can say my flip phone has eight gigs of RAM. Yeah. As a tech person from the early 90s, early 2000s too, that's just weird to say. Not going to lie. I don't think they had eight gigabyte RAM storage on flash media when the flip phone was in its no. prominence. I mean, it looks like a pretty decent phone. I mean, a real decent phone, actually. What am I saying? It looks like a great phone. I mean, 250 bucks. So let's say it lasts two years. I think you got your money worth out of it. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of my thing. It's like, even if it's only a backup, it's one of those, oh, and it's got like a 4,200, 4,300 milliamp hour battery. So decent battery life too. Now I'm going to say the unpopular thing here. And whenever I see OLED or AMOLED screens, mm -hmm. I immediately turned off. So yeah, that can be a thing. What I will say is, so I have a plastic OLED screen, which is what the Motorola Razr uses because of the folding. Mm -hmm. The screen is much brighter and more colorful than the one on a $1,500 experimental phone. I'll put it that way. doesn't have the high refresh rate of said experimental phone, however. There is an adaptive kind of screen thing in like the accessibilities that I haven't really looked at that might change that, but um, it's stuck at a 60 hertz as opposed to a more fluid 90 hertz that you'd get with like the interaction and touch points and all that kind of thing. Like I said, there's compromises that you're going to make, so whatever. 60 hertz is fine. My, my issue is one of the big problems with CRTs back in the day is you'd have burnt images in the screen. OLED screens get burned in too. So it's like, cool. So I get a flat version of the worst aspect of monitors from 20 years ago. Awesome. Yeah. Sign me up. I'm on board. No, I don't think so. Like I would never buy an OLED switch when there's an LCD option. Well, that's like asking for your device to be garbage in a couple of years. <laughs> 
So you are correct. Uh, AMOLED, OLED, whatever. Definitely does have Achilles heels. There's the, the burn in, which is definitely a thing. It's not as prominent as it used to be. I know somebody had left the what switch on for like the OLED one for like 3,500 hours or something. Uh, or some YouTube video that I saw that cropped up. The life expectancy is far better than they used to be on like those first Samsung devices that started shipping mm-hmm. OLEDs and stuff. So I will yeah. give that credit. The, the tech has gotten better. The thing I like is the more of the battery saving aspects of it because LCDs, things are on even if they're off. Like if they're black, they're still on. So the black on a AMOLED or OLED is actually just off. So there's that trade-off. I understand the benefits there, but until they get that whole burn-in thing, all right, maybe they got it solved and I'm just being a crotchety old man, middle-aged man, whatever, and says, you know, I like my tech the way I like my tech, which that actually is true. But until I see an OLED screen that's aged, that doesn't look like garbage. I mean, again, this is like a two-year phone, two, three-year phone, so not a big deal anyway. I think that LCD is a better long-term it's not as consumable as an OLED, I guess. While Tate's complaining about OLED and other things theoretically needing to be fixed, one day you've been fixing things again? Yeah, I actually thought I had had my dishwasher fixed last week, and well, I was wrong. I got one part of it fixed, but there was another part that was also going out, and it was the drain pump. So while the part that originally needed to be placed was kind of dumb, the reason why it needed to be replaced. I really like the design of the drain motor for the dishwasher. You didn't have to flip it over, which I mean, we did when we were trying to figure out what else was going wrong with it. But in order to replace the part, it actually holds with pressure on the side and has a little kind of locking mechanism like you'd have on a bottle of medicine or whatnot. So after that clicks into place, it won't untwist unless you push the tab down and finish turning it around. So it was a super, super easy fix yesterday. It actually took me the most amount of time to get the plug out of the back of the old drain pump. And then once that was done, everything went back together really fast. And I once again have a working dishwasher. I don't want to say we're done fixing appliances because, well, if I do say that, then I guarantee something else will come up. I'm just going to plan on there's going to be something else going wrong at some point in time. And so we'll fix that when it gets here. But for now, I have a working dishwasher and a working washer machine. I guess it's not unsurprising that in both cases, it was the drain pump that went out. But that was the case. Both were fairly easy fixes. And we're off and running again with the full force of major appliances in the house. Oh, that's excellent news. A down appliance is probably the worst. It's definitely difficult. I know it's like first world problems when I'm complaining about my dishwasher being down. But because we have one plus six people in this house, I've gotten used to being able to do other things with my time. So I could just quickly load, unload the dishwasher, have one of the kids do it. And then I've already made commitments with my time elsewhere because that's not a thing that I needed to do. So then when one of those major appliances is down, I don't necessarily have time scheduled for doing dishes for six people for three meals a day in the house, which ends up becoming a heck of a lot of dishes really, really fast. So I know it's first world problem, but it's definitely a time suck where I've already dedicated my time other places. 
glad they're fixed. I'm glad I only had to make one trip to the laundromat because <laughs> not only is that boring as heck, as you mentioned last week, Nate, and even talking to Matt and the expense that he deals with at his laundromat, it's very expensive. Don't enjoy going. Glad that's all up and running. If I do have something else to fix again, I'll let you know. The most interesting thing about the dishwasher is we found the service mode. So if we'd had a service technician come out, you would use a certain series of buttons across the top of the dishwasher so it would run different service modes, throw you out a code, and help you figure out exactly what's going on. Obviously, I'm not opposed to technicians coming and fixing things if I can't do it myself. Cost-wise, I'd prefer that we are able to fix it before calling out a service technician to do that. I guess that's all being comfortable with your technology and fixing your technology. It doesn't matter whether it's a computer or a dishwasher. It's still taking the time, reading the manuals, figuring out how to get that fixed. Oh, come on. You know you're not going to get a guy like Magneto to read a manual. We're too stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely does read manuals. He reads manuals all the time and has to for work. Well, work's different. I'm an at home. <laughs> That's required reading. <laughs> okay. So I'm the one who did the research to find out how to get into the service cycle he also leaves any of the computer research to me because he's like, you know how to find that. You're more comfortable in that space in finding those things. So to be fair, it's my realm. It is good that appliance manufacturers have these service modes. I think the problem with appliance manufacturers and service modes is they don't make it more open and easier to access. Right. And I think really it would be best if manufacturers did make their appliances easier to work on and more accessible for people to work on. I think that would gain a lot of product confidence and it would reduce repair times. Because these repair technicians today, they are so busy that they're backlogged for sometimes weeks, at least around me. If maybe appliance manufacturers, one, didn't go as absolutely cheap as possible with their components and right. made it easier to fix with a better, you know, a more cost-effective way of getting parts, you know, people have more confidence in those appliances. I think because I got to bring this up just because people demand it, like the Steam Deck, it, they make it repairable. That boosts my confidence in purchasing another computer like that. You know, the Frameworks laptop, they make it repairable that boosts my confidence in purchasing that or, you know, tuxedo computers and, and the like. Making an appliance, whatever that appliance might be, whether it's a laptop, a dishwasher, or a refrigerator, more accessible to work on, all it does is boost confidence in your equipment, reduces the fear, let's say, for people to, to purchase that because it's all open there. Ah, uh, right to repair, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Right to repair is a very big deal. And like you said, it doesn't end with our computers, our gaming devices. It should be across everything we need to use. And I did have to do some digging in order to find what that was. Now, later, we found that there was a sheet on the side of the dishwasher. It was kind of folded up and tucked, which was the technician repair sheet. It had some of those information on it. It had the codes on it. So if I had known where to look or thought to look there, I wouldn't have had to search the internet so much in order to find that tech sheet. But it should be readily available. I think it should come inside your regular manual as well, just because it is important to have that information. I don't need someone else to come out here 
and changed the drain pump on a dishwasher. It took me all of two seconds and I didn't even need tools. Not that we don't have tools here, but that was definitely one of those fixes that didn't even need a tool to do it. So why spend somebody's time coming out here to fix that when there's much more complicated problems that they could be working on? So if it was something with the electrical boards or something like that, that's when I would probably need the technician to come out here. So that way they could test and know which ones needed to be test to solve the problem. Whereas just a piece of hardware on the machine that needed to be replaced, I can do that myself. Right, exactly. I totally agree. And Wendy, going to the laundromat wouldn't be so bad if you had a steam deck. There, that's twice. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it still absolutely sucked. Like, I did listen to one of the audiobooks I've been listening to. I had a new book in the series. There's actually quite a few more books in the series. I just don't have any more credits. So if you want a really fun and definitely science fiction style book to read, I recommend the Fred the Vampire Accountant series by Drew Hastings. They are not family friendly by any means between language and other stuff that they deal with, but they are hilarious And so I did have that to keep my time going. But yeah, the laundering mat is not the place to go. And I was thinking with what I spent and didn't even get all my laundry done. With what I spent to do laundry there and the time that it took me, I'm like, oh my goodness, I have got to get my washer working. Which I did. Thank goodness. Probably spend like the quarter of a washing machine every time you go to the laundromat with the size of your family. And the fact that I'm sure yeah. because Magneto is skilled laborer, that means he probably goes through a lot of work clothes. Actually, his job has a laundry service. So like all oh. of his work clothes anymore, I don't have to wash. When he worked for himself and I had to wash that laundry, yeah. That definitely puts the washer to work because of the sheer amount of dirt and grease and stuff that gets on his clothes. And then I have kids that play outside like all the time from spring to fall. It's dirt season around here. Like everything's (laughs) always covered in dirt. So, yeah. And then you have mud season after that. And we have mud season. We actually have our coffee pots actually broken again. So I wasn't being honest in the fact that we are all out or all good with appliances. We have a backup coffee pot that we've been using here for a couple of weeks. And the downside of it is that the pot just isn't big enough. But we have a really hard time keeping being a coffee pot that works for longer than two years. And we almost need an industrial one because every single person in this house drinks coffee. It has to make two to three at minimum, two to three pots of coffee a day. Every day for two years seems to be way too much for most coffee makers. And we're like, why? You should just be able to keep up with our incredible coffee habit. (laughs) Your hot bean water. (laughs) (laughs) Right? They don't make them for that. You probably have to buy a commercial one if you you really want to. Yeah. Has something that lasts a while, but any residential. But then they all make... Oh, bad Wendy. <laughs> I know, but I'm being honest. <laughs> I wish I could remember the brand of it, but the drip coffee makers you usually find in a restaurant, those are actually quite good. You just have to use the right filters and it should be like any other drip coffee. Or if you get the drip coffee that goes directly into one of those, um, like you see at coffee places where you can, you push the top down, you squeeze the top. It's a very well insulated container. The French presses. They've got a French press. I think he's talking about the Aero press. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. No, th- these are like thermoses. They dump it into a giant thermos. And that thermos keeps it at temperature for a long time. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, Yeah. I know what you're talking about there. Yeah, and that might be good. Just make multiple pots, put it in there, and then it's good to go as it sets for the day. 
those will last you a long time. When they do go bad, all the components are serviceable because apparently with commercial appliances, right to repair is important. Weird. So there's Okay, that. that's it. That sums it up. I guess we are replacing our coffee pot with an industrial or a commercial one just because that's our only option. <laughs> <laughs> Our only good option. I don't drink that much coffee anymore for reasons. So I, I probably do like maybe a, a pot or two a week. Oh, wow. When mine fails, I'm just going to toss it into the e-cycling because we have that in the area. I won't repair another coffee pot. It's a lot of work. These things are put together by either really tiny fingers or more machines. Machines, yeah. I can't get my fingers in there effectively, pull the hoses apart, and then actually put them back together. And some of them you actually have to break in order to get them apart. Right. They sonic weld the cases together to say like a penny on fasteners. But when you make 100,000 of these things, you know, a penny times 100,000, that, that actually adds up. That's a lot. Yeah, it adds up. It's still a jerk move by the manufacturer and they should spend that extra penny. But nonetheless, what can you do? I'd pay that extra penny for it. Yeah, I would. I think most people would be fine with that. Well, they'd actually charge you three cents for that penny because that's the way the equation works out. Very true. But and then the manufacturing schmo is going to tell you that the cost of maintaining the screw is very expensive because that's another process and everything else. I'm like, all right, whatever, fine. This episode of Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, well, let's say complex, especially for a guy like me. But standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. Predictable pricing, robust product documentation, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. Get support at every stage of growth, from teams of one, so just you, to teams of a thousand with simple, powerful cloud computing and growing at DigitalOcean. As a listener of Linux Out Loud and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's even better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, go to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform Go to do.co slash tux2022. Appliances in our lives are not the only things that we wish were open source or had better repairability. Here, we also care a lot about content creation, and so does our community. There's been some fantastic news that has finally been put out there. And if you wanted to donate directly to Caden Live, you can. I know this application gets used all over the network. It gets used all over in our community. And as we were talking before the show, Matt and Nate were finding some additional bonuses that are coming to KDN Live with this extra funding. What was some of the stuff you found? Well, the one thing that really excited me is this nested timelines business. I have no idea how it works. I don't know how things are nested. I have no idea. But what I do know is if that allows me to perhaps have not as long of a big of a timeline that I have to look at like stacked together, that would be pretty awesome. Because you use this project in order to edit Linux Saloon, right? Yes. And also other Cubicle Nate nonsense, which I have one that'll be done today. Woohoo! 
first time since March that I'm actually doing a video because, you know, I suck. Life? Yeah. That whole life thing gets in the way. And then you can't focus. Really bad. Maybe I should drink more coffee. Anyway, but that's one thing. <laughs> and the fact that you can directly donate to the project because, I mean, this project, yeah, I don't really make money off the project. Really? I don't. But I do donate to the KDE project, the big overarching thing. But to be able to actually directly push some of those funds to Caden Live, I think is is very awesome. Yeah, that's actually been my biggest, like my personal biggest gripe is the fact that for the longest time, it's like, you know, we talk about having that video editor that's amazing, awesome to have. And, you know, Caden Live's fulfilled that for a good couple of years now for most, I'm going to emphasize the word, most Linux users as a whole. There are those that will need a DaVinci Resolve or, you know, some type of application like that. That's just what it is. Well, I'm not a professional, so I don't need <laughs> DaVinci Resolve. I'm saying there are certain, that's why I said certain, not all. <laughs> Caden Live to me is kind of like finding that pro, that right prosumer level where it does a lot of pro stuff and that is functional for a consumer and it just happens generically to be the price of free so (laughs) generically this is where i I didn't always have an issue with the fact that you had to donate directly to the kde foundation as a whole as opposed to being able to directly donate to the projects that you want i've always disliked that and the fact that they're doing this is amazing and they need to do it for other projects Caden Live just happens to be the biggest one that has been the biggest criticism, I think, that they've eaten a lot of crow on for that. <laughs> yeah, like you mentioned, things like nested timelines, cool. One of the other things is uh, they're looking at the workflow kind of stuff and changing kind of how you do certain things. So one of the things that they mentioned is like how to change contrast and brightness of a clip. There's a couple of different steps you got to go through to get to there. So they're looking at things like making everyday adjustments a lot more accessible by default. Increasing the speed. This is something that I've noticed when it comes to um, just the feel of the application. There are certain times when you use Game Live, like when you cut a clip and then you drag it over to get rid of, you know, whatever portion before or after that you're looking to get rid of you will end up seeing this kind of like weird delay on the drag and then you end up going past where you wanted to edit to (laughs) and then you have to drag it back. It still kind of stutters when you try to slide it back sometimes so it's not like a fluid cut point. So sometimes you have to be a little more granular and go down and dig into like the actual timing of the video, which is that's kind of annoying, not going to lie. So if they can kind of make that a more enjoyable experience and render speeds, can we please get GPU like full GPU rendering? That is the biggest thing I've asked for. It just makes for a faster, more fluid experience of the overall application. I mean, if Shotcut can do it, why doesn't Caden Live? (laughs) That's all I'm asking. So I think it's really cool, though, that this is being done. And within, I think, the first 24 hours, they had already raised a third of their goal that they're looking for. So their goal was $15,000 or 15,000 euro. Equate that to whatever local currency you want. They've already raised almost 5,500 of that in ever since this was announced. So that's awesome. I've already donated because I use Caden Live. So why not? But there are other projects that also 
have donations and corporate sponsors and all the other stuff. And one of the more recent ones was actually Krita getting a corporate level sponsorship from Intel. What? So Krita got a, I believe the tier that is, I think it's a $30,000 tier. So that means more development for Krita. Intel specifically, you know, markets, oh, we're investing this so that the experience with Krita and art, digital art and all the other stuff is great using Intel Arc which is their GPU that they're putting, or GPU line they're putting out. Okay, I can buy that. But the fact that it's cash, basically, or money that pays for development doesn't necessarily mean that that money is going to be specifically used for those features on those GPUs, as opposed to being used for the overall project. Side effect of being able to actually help that GPU be a better experience, cool, but not the main drive, which... I'm totally fine with this is why I like certain things of the open source projects where it's like they have that critical, a nice hefty donation, shall we say from Intel. And they are the first actual corporate backer sponsor, whatever you want to word that of Krita. I absolutely love this. Krita is one of the applications that gets used all of the time in this house, not by me, mainly by my oldest daughter who uses it for drawing different art, and the, like inside of it, I know it has features that she absolutely loves. And I'm excited to see that feature list grow. The ones that they have currently get better through this corporate funding. It is really nice to see more and more of our favorite projects getting larger backers in order to help them become even more competitive with the closed source stuff that's on the market. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, I don't care if Intel's doing it for selfish reasons or not. I mean, most people program for selfish reasons anyway. So if they're going to make Krita work better with their GPUs or their CPUs or whatever, it's not hurting me at all. It benefits me too. So I'm excited that Intel sees the value of Krita. I feel like it, it does secure Krita better, at least for now, for as long as, you know, they're getting the funding. It means more developers are getting paid for something they enjoy doing anyway. That's all the better. And I'm excited about that. That's great news. Surprising news for sure, but definitely great news. Yeah, it's definitely uh, surprising and interesting news to see that come across the board, but I'm glad to see it like you, Nate. I don't care the, the motivation, selfish or not. You know, you, you can be altruistic if you want for a donation or helping an open source project, or you can be as Michael would say, shameless self-plug for your project because it's good <laughs> PR. It doesn't really matter. What matters is the fact that you are enabling development in some way, shape, or form of that project and helping drive that forward. That to me is far more intriguing and more meaningful than whatever motivations we have because really, you know, we hear in the open source community, you know, all these people are doing scratching their own itch. Well, that's all these companies are doing when they donate. <laughs> let's be honest yeah instead of resources they're just doing it with money so whatever that's fine keep scratching i'm good at that scratch away <laughs> scratch away indeed another area that content creation is a thing is actually with blender because one of the major game studios and i've said this before on the show that contributes to blender and all their content and 3d design and all that stuff is done in blender now 
is by Ubisoft. They are like the number three big publisher. Mm -hmm. You have your EAs, you have your Activisions, and then you basically have Ubisoft. So you have the third largest gaming maker development studio, period, making monetary contributions to Blender, but not just monetary, because they also have something that's really cool called Ubisoft Mixer, which allows for real-time collaborations on a Blender project. So they're contributing code too. Yes, that is actually up on GitHub. That's super awesome. I see that they joined Blender back in 2019 initially. Mm -hmm, They did. I got to mess with Blender. I've been ho-humming saying that for a while now, but I really have to get into messing with Blender a little bit. My daughter has just a touch, but it's not something I've played with a lot. I know at one point I was like, yeah, I'm going to learn how to edit video in Blender, which can be done. And you can do some amazing things with video editing with it also. But it was one of those things that there's so many tools and so many configurations that it was extremely overwhelming. In order to do that, I think you either need a lot of time to play with that or have a really good tutorial to walk you through it all in order to make that happen. I know my daughter was wanting to learn some animation with Blender. She's currently been doing animation, but in a much simpler program. And she might be ready to go ahead and pick Blender up again. Yeah. So like Nate, to your point about Blender, but when I get to Wendy's, I love the flexibility of Blender and what it can and can't do because you can make this kind of the Adobe After Effects if you really want to and learn. It's not necessarily always the easiest to learn. Not going to (laughs) lie. The UI has definitely improved drastically over the last few years, however. So I will say that. I personally wouldn't do that, but, you know, to each their own as far as learning how to use it, if it works best for you. Nate, to answer your question about why they would, you know, a company like Ubisoft would kind of support this. They had a QA about this when they initially joined. And the question was, why would you become a sponsor for an open source project? And their answer was that we believe, and to quote, we believe that Blender at that point was 2.8, which will be released in the coming days as a game changer for the CGI industry. Blender has been on Ubisoft's radar for a long time. And in the past year or more, more and more artists have shown interest in using it in production. It was the internal teams showing a willingness to want to use it that drove that choice. And I think that's really cool. That means a company's actually listening to what they're saying. To continue, the growth of our internal Blender community as well as the innovations brought by 2.8, like a revamped UI, grease pencil, EV, real-time rendering, convinced us that it was the right time to bring support to our artist productions that we would like to add Blender to their toolkit. What better way to support that switch than donating to the Blender Foundation so we can help Blender continue to grow? Sounds like Intel's reason for donating to Krita. Just saying. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Sure, it's for selfish reasons, but I'm okay with that. Be selfish. And like I said, the cool thing is they're also doing things like contributing code, like that ability to have that collaborative real-time work environment with Blender projects. So it's not just, here's some money, go do stuff. It's, here's some money, here's some code that we found really useful for like collaboration and stuff. You guys might too. Here it is on GitHub. That's awesome. Absolutely. It's super awesome. Undeniably awesome sauce right there. This one is kind of recent over the summer. DreamWorks, which is an animation, well... 
part animation studio, part a lot of other things. But most people will give Pixar a lot of credit for open sourcing a lot of their stuff. The CGI industry has a lot of history of open sourcing stuff and being reliant on open source technologies and whatnot. But DreamWorks open sourced their renderer, what they use for movies and that kind of stuff. Uh, I believe it's called Moonray. Normally, Pixar uses uh, RenderMan which is kind of like the industry standard. DreamWorks open sourced their one, which is now out there for anybody to use. Whereas RenderMan, I believe, is proprietary, but it's free for non-commercial use, if I remember correctly. Another option for your renderers, besides Blender or RenderMan, well, go make some CGI with Moonray. It's a library. So does it work with some other application or? Some of it's above my head, but I believe the fact that it's a library, it's not app dependent as much. So yeah, it's a renderer. Okay. So it's a component. Yeah. Some of the examples that they can do with Moonray, pretty darn impressive for sure. I don't know how they do that. I know. I just saw that and I was like, okay, that's really cool. But probably the biggest outlier and the one with the biggest support for content creation as it goes open source and stuff is OBS. Yay. How much streaming, how much of Twitch and YouTube and, you know, insert whatever version of, you know, live streaming Microsoft will try to do next when Mixer failed. Uh, (laughs) Where would all that be without OBS? You have companies, a lot of different companies supporting OBS. You have, you know, Facebook and just a ton of companies. But the weirdest one that I saw, and probably for the most selfish reason, but who cares, was NVIDIA. Became a diamond level sponsor for OBS. Now, NVIDIA has done a lot of weird things lately. More open sourcey friendly weird things. While the reason, again, selfish, because it's NVIDIA, I do appreciate the fact they're supporting an amazing the important content creation tool that is open source. Yeah, that's amazing. I wouldn't have started at the beginning of the year if we had some predictions. This would not have been on my list of predictions at all. I never would have put this anywhere in the top 10 of this is going to happen this year. So, hey, I'm glad it did. I don't personally run NVIDIA every day, but it's something. It benefits me directly because I do use OBS. You use it every time you stream for Linux alone. Yep. Shameless plug. And also when I'm filming stuff on my desktop, OBS for that as well. It actually works better. I, I take the camera input, pipe it into the computer. I save it directly on, on a hard drive. So that actually works hard drive. It's not a hard drive. It's an SSD, but you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole point of bringing up all these kind of companies and projects and things that are being supported, be it donations or you know corporate sponsors, et cetera, is there's this weird kind of, I don't want to say seismic, but you can see content creation is becoming more about collaboration and kind of the undertone of where the status quo always was. You know, if you're doing content creation, go use Adobe. That was basically always the longest joke. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't use Adobe, you might use some other proprietary good. I can't say the proprietary stuff's bad because it's not. But you might be the outlier and kind of use like, oh, you might use a Corel product or you might use something that is kind of an industry standard, but not really. You might use like an Apple product if that's your thing. There were outliers, but there's more and more where I'm seeing companies and stuff understand that the open source stuff in the end benefits them. And so if they only have to throw, you know, 50 grand to get something developed in their favor, they're going to do it. Right. So if I don't have to pay somebody 100000 150000 a year and I can pay a team of people who have already got a code base going, 
50 grand savings if you're looking at it from the business perspective. So I think it's an amazing thing to, to see. And I really do believe that we're going to see more of this kind of like understanding that what were at once these kind of, oh, okay, you know, I use GIMP instead of Photoshop or like, oh, okay, whatever. These are going to start being a lot more feature complete when it, in comparison to their proprietary counterparts. Yeah. And I think that is kind of where we're heading in the content creation space, honestly. Which I think that to me is the best part is to see these open source projects become more competitive with the closed source options out there. And it's really nice to see some of that being used in education so that these projects will not only continue to get better, but people will have the option to use them across all different countries, all different communities, and be a very solid resources, not only for the companies that need them, but for the people who are just wanting to learn, how do I do this? Absolutely. No argument here. Nope. <laughs> What do you guys think about Caden Live finally getting direct donations and all of the different corporate sponsors that are for these different projects that we have out there? Are these projects that you use? Are you excited to see this funding? What other projects would you love to see get additional funding, whether it's now being able to donate to them directly or getting some heavy hitters in the funding department? We can't wait to get your feedback. Hello, Magneto here. This episode of Linux Out Loud is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we, well, that they use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password as well as additional authentication such as master password and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your password safe. From me. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. $10 premium account includes 1 gigabyte of encrypted file storage, 2-step login with YubiKey, U2F, or Duo, Vault Health Reports, and TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, and Priority Customer Support. Make the smart move, like many from the community have, and go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. If you're like my wife, Sinister Wendy, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition only starts at $10 a year. Thanks to Bitwarden for supporting this episode of Lennox Out Loud. Magneto out. Last week, Nate, you were working on building a fence. Some of this was enabled to keep your chickens and your ducks into one contained area, but you're taking this a step further and remodeling the chicken coop. I bet there's some tech in there too. Not a whole lot of tech necessarily. I just use a lot of my hand tools tech, my cordless tools, lithium ion battery powered tools to build it. And this is not a very techy statement at all or segment. It was kind of important. So I built some PVC feeders so I can reduce the amount of waste from the birds because Birds are funny things. I guess some humans do this too, but they'll poo where they eat. And it's not good for any of the birds to be eating poo. I got these PVC feeders. They're about four feet high. It was actually all out of scrap or 
garbage pieces of, of material I had lying around here. I built these feeders so I can keep the food from getting contaminated, essentially. It makes it more difficult for the birds to, to mess it up. And then a new roosting system so that I can basically have the birds in there. There's more space for them to roost, about twice the amount of space actually, and actually in a smaller area, but with more space in between. It, it's kind of difficult to explain. But anyway, it's like a graduate, like a stadium type seating for them. It goes from about three foot all the way up to about six foot high. If you're in the metric from about one meter to about two meters high ish, a little bit less than two meters for them to sit and not get their feet dirty and, and such through the night. So not really a huge, exciting thing going on, but it was an important improvement to the barn, the, my bird barn. You know, doing the calculations, it was all on paper, but it, it was kind of fun to do. And I got to show the kids, you know, this is how you can then cut this piece to interface with these other two pieces and then fasten to the wall and then make everything just, you know, kind of work. Surprisingly, it was my daughter who was most, I don't, I don't want to say interested, but most excited about the changes and helped me actually get the wood and everything else from the store so that we could uh, build the things. So anyway, it was fun. It's an improvement to the coop. The turkeys are still stupid and not actually going in the coop at night. And I, I want to put them away so nothing eats them because, you know, that's not for animals to eat. It's for somebody else. I'm excited about all these different changes and improving my position here at my cubicle farm, as it were. Well, you typically have some kind of tech. I know that you've used solar panels in order to help keep your coop warm. So this wasn't a remodel in that way but just making less waste more comfortable for the birds. Even more important, like we said again, is for coming on to winter where they're going to be spending a little bit more time in the coop instead of out wandering around. It's always nice to be able to use the scrap pieces you have laying around to do projects like that. You are making things better and reducing the amount of clutter you have and not having to spend money on it to do it or less money anyway. Right. And also I do actually have some tech in the barn or related to the, the birds. All the lights in the barn are controlled by home assistant. So I can turn on and off things, you know, so for the heat in the wintertime, I want to keep the temperature at the right level. I uh, don't want it too warm and whatnot. And also I have an insect, it's called a Dynatrap, this insect catching thing. So instead of the insects just irritating me or spraying to kill the insects, which is not good for the birds, this collects the insects and then I feed it to the birds. So they, I'm not spending money on spray, but then I'm also reducing my feed costs. Not by very much. We're talking maybe it's, it's enough for one egg every three weeks but in pounds and weight, but it's something, you know, it's not. Also, I don't like chemicals, I like reduce the number of chemicals that are being sprayed on my property also. Agreed. Well, Matt, you're not playing with chickens. You are playing something else. Do tell. <laughs> <laughs> nope. The only bad one of them today is going to be Wendy. So I'm just going to leave that one alone. So that is not an easy task, Nate. I will say that. What, playing with your chickens? Uh, <laughs> no, me being good and not taking that in a totally Oh, oh, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Because I didn't know you had chickens in Philadelphia or wherever it is you live. Pensacola. Despite Nate's very weird introduction, the game of the week is actually three <laughs> games. These games are actually ones that I remember playing as a kid. It is called the Journeyman Project, one through three. Uh, there's... Different names for all three of them, but they're all numbered, so you can figure it out. They're all on GOG. They're FMV point-and-click adventure games from the mid-90s. These are just really fun games, and Nate, if you remember those style of games from the, I know the 90s weren't that long ago. We did graduate, you do a PS2, so you will understand what I'm talking about, though. A lot of times I understand <laughs> what I'm talking about, so keep going. Though most of the rest of us don't. <laughs> These are a series of games that were about time travel and cause and effect and all that kind of stuff. The later games, you get more FMV, more introduction of two 
kind of what happens in different scenarios if you don't do things a certain way and etc. It's just, they're really fun games. They're not very long. I mean, they're adventure games from the mid-90s, so there was a lot of try and error and fail, and that, that's kind of the, the style of game that these are. But you can get them for relatively cheap. When I was making the list for the recommendations of these, they were actually on sale, so you get the entire series for like 10 bucks from GOG. Nice. They, it runs about 22 for all three games total. So if you're a fan of like FMV puzzle games and kind of the people would say the pixel hunt type games, and you want something with actually a really big focus on story and something that, yeah, they're FMV games from the 90s. So think Command and Conquer cheesy kind of FMV cutscenes. <laughs> You kind of got these games wrapped up in a nutshell with a time travel element. So yeah. definitely fun little games to play. I'm not going to lie, though. I do like the pointer hand thing. They show what the different uh, shapes mean. This is very mm-hmm. much a 90s thing. It makes me laugh. Yeah, definitely. The neutral, press, grab, zoom in, zoom out. It just It's very 90s, and, and I think that we should go back to that. Nate, something tells me if you could, you would go back to that scene from uh, Jurassic Park. It's a Unix system with the 3D UI. <laughs> <laughs> if it could work practically and actually like make me more productive, yes, I would find a way to use it. But I think I would spend too much time playing and not getting anything done. Not that I get that much done anyway, but, you know. Well, it's kind of like what happens when, you know, I make a game recommendation that you happen to play on your Steam Deck. You don't get anything done, so it's okay. Exactly. (laughs) Okay, so I have to say the trailer to this game is, wow, there is no doubt about it. This thing came screaming out of the 90s without a doubt. (laughs) I am all for puzzle games. I don't know that this one is necessarily up my alley when it comes to puzzle games. But I do have to say, it makes me feel like a little kid again. These are available on Steam, too. I just did the GOG ones because GOG made sure that when they were re-released around 2014, that they actually worked at least on the Windows side of things. Nice. So that meant a lot of DOSBox type of stuff because that's when the original came out um and dos was still a thing with like 98 and stuff too right it's nice to see that still kind of play a thing and a role in some of the preservation of these older games i kind of wanted to highlight the people who made that possible and the 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 site that made it possible but you can get these on steam and they do play on you know, DOSBox and Linux and all the other stuff. So well, this is great. Very nice. I know there's some kind of charm to the 90s that I just, I can't. These games are going to be like brand new to you. <laughs> well, actually they are. I don't remember these games at all. Well, no, not because of me mentioning them. They're going to be brand new to you. Even if I mentioned them 20 years from now anyway, they're new to you because you still live in the early 2000s. I do. It's nice there. So these games would only be like three or four years old for you. Well, one of them be like eight, but you get the idea. But the 90s was only like five years ago, so I'm, I'm still sticking with that. So while I'm throwing out game recommendations and all the other fun stuff, Wendy, it sounds like you're doing some stuff with a Raspberry Pi again. That I am. This is actually taking both of the things that I've been doing lately or wanting to do. And if you listen to Hardware Addicts, episode number 69, then you've already heard me talk about this project. And that is the Raspberry Pi build hat that was made in conjunction 
with Lego. So you're able to take this additional board, put it on top of your Raspberry Pi. It does not need to be a Raspberry Pi 4. It just has to be one of the ones that has the different connectors. Okay, that's cool. So about the only one I think you can't use is the Raspberry Pi Zero, the original one, but you might be able to use the Raspberry Pi Zero 2W in order to work with this project as well, which is absolutely awesome. So if you don't currently have the sensors or the motors for the Spike Prime robot or the Mindstorm inventor kit, that's got the additional hub in it, you can get those different motors and sensors separately. And then with this build hat, you can plug them in and actually code in Python to make these different sensors and motors work. I discovered this through one of my favorite channels on YouTube where he's working with the Spike Prime robot and coding it in Python. I've learned so much from him. And this is one of the other projects that he had on there. Now, if you already have a Raspberry Pi laying around the house, it'll cost you $25 for the board and another $15 for the power supply because the USB-C power supply for your Raspberry Pi board isn't going to be enough power for most of the things that you want to do, especially if you're using multiple motors and sensors. So you'll want that additional power supply. So 40 bucks and you could be off and running if you've already got the motors and sensors. If you don't have the motors and sensors, it'll cost you a little bit more, but you can slowly build up, add the ones that you want or get the Spike Prime expansion kit, which for you wouldn't be an expansion, but it would come with a motor, a couple sensors and get you off and running. This is a great way to do more robotics with a Raspberry Pi, an existing series of sensors and motors. I cannot wait to play with this project. If you listen to that episode of Hard Erratics, you know that getting a Raspberry Pi right now is very, very difficult, but I have a lead on a Raspberry Pi 3 that I'm able to get used so that the kids and I can start coding and building and playing with this as soon as it comes. Yeah, this is something I did not know about at all. And this is very cool. The fact you can use the Raspberry Pi and do all the cool Lego robotics. I mean, I'm not sure what that opens up for you exactly, but I can only imagine at this point if you have all the capabilities of a Pi and being able to squeeze that inside of a Lego thing. And for me, I'm not necessarily thinking robots per se that run around, but even my silly nonsensical lunar space station thing that I have. I mean, different elevators... Uh, lights and sensors oh, and yeah, so forth. Oh yeah, you could power I mean, that stuff with it. This would be really cool to have. I mean, super cool. So yeah, I, I'm already sold on it and I don't have the rest of the stuff to go with it. But yeah, this is really very awesome. It's definitely another way to keep or bring robotics into education. They can have, classrooms can have, our team already has the base parts for this. And now with a Raspberry Pi board, it opens up coding so much more. So you're not necessarily stuck, quote unquote, stuck with the firmware that is on your hub or using something like PyBricks you are much more open to the flexibility of what you do with that device, the software that you use to code it, how you get the Python to 
the different bits and pieces of whatever project you're working on. Then you can also pair this with a battery pack and have a robot that is movable, one that is not necessarily tied to an outlet, which I think is absolutely fantastic. I would love to be able to build a robot that is a lot like the one I have now, but instead of using the hub to be able to use a battery pack and have that work around whatever table or outlet we have going on. Now, you wouldn't be able to use that in competition. You have to use the Spike Prime Hub for competition, but it is one more thing that you can do, many different projects you can make. I know on the channel that I really like, he's built a hand that'll read your movements and then copy you whatever you're doing. He built a quote-unquote spy camera so it'll face detect and as you move it'll turn with you and follow your face. There's so many different projects that you can do with this and straight up micro pie. That is so cool. The fact that we have access to these things is just absolutely amazing. Yeah. And it goes back to some of the things that I said earlier on in the show when we were talking about open source projects and having them available. If kids, and even me, I absolutely have a blast playing with this stuff. I've learned so much. (laughs) have these tools available to them at a young age at a price point that is maybe not available for all parents to do at home, but definitely easier for schools, for different clubs to be able to purchase. I know, like I said, it's something that we've been able to have in the home. I will definitely be spending more school money on additional motors, additional sensors, making sure that we have this hat, other hats, different sensor kits that you can get for the Raspberry Pi itself and build on the skills that they're learning with the Spike Prime robot. And the kids may not want to code as a profession in the future, but it's a skill they know. And once they've learned one coding language, then they can use that information as a stepping stone for additional coding languages if they wanted to. Well, the other thing too is it's not just learning to code, it's learning to think logically and orderly. Yeah. It's not just programming. It's not building a program necessarily, but it's building the the structure in your mind to be able to take abstract concepts and build some sort of structure around it. So it's a very useful skill. It's very transferable to other things. I don't see a downside to it. I mean, Legos and Linux, they're both L words that bring smiles to my face. Absolutely. And this is one more way that you can use it. I know been people following me and my coding journey and the robotics stuff, very interested in that. And I just had to share this again, even though I'd shared it on Hard Erratics. I had to share it again here because not everybody listens to both. And if you do, sorry, you've heard it again. <laughs> but this is a great way for kids for people who are just wanting to learn this stuff to do some fun things with robotics in order to get into that and have parts that are readily available. Okay, not everything's readily available. Like I said, getting your hands actually on a Raspberry Pi right now is extremely difficult. But if you are like Nate and other people on the network who have an abundance of pies that you've already purchased when they were available. This is one thing that you can do with a pie that currently doesn't have a job. I think I have one that's free to do a thing right now. Yep, just one. I have some pie zeros, but you said you can't use that, so. Yeah, you can't use the pie zero, but just about every other pie you can use. The biggest bummer right now is not only could I not get my hands on 
just a regular pie board, I was really wanting to make sure I had a pie hole set up next time I went to my in-laws. And that's not happening right now. The boards are just way too expensive. So hopefully based on production, Raspberry Pi actually being able to get their hands on boards, being able to get boards made, that won't be an issue for much longer But right now, they're either sold out everywhere or they cost way, way more than they're supposed to be. I am so glad my husband got me the Raspberry Pi he did when I got it for Christmas last year. So refresher, I have the Raspberry Pi 4 with 8 gigs of RAM. And the reason why this is so important right now is because I currently have it doing three different jobs and I'm able to do it all on one Pi instead of... If it had been a lesser model at this point, it may be not able to do all the things that I am requiring of it, where it is the pie hole, the unbound server, and right now being a server for sync thing, Mm -hmm. which I have to say thank you again for that recommendation because I'm using it all the time. Pretty great, isn't it? That it is. Now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics. Hit the discourse form, drop us a line under this video, or contact us by visiting tuxdigital.com slash contact. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links in the bottom of the show description. Find other great shows like Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, Linux Saloon, and more at tuxdigital.com. Show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting Tux Digital Merch Store. Grab yourself some awesome swag like the gamer-centric I Pause My Game to Be Here shirt or join Team Wendy with some sinister Wendy swag. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of Linux Out Loud. Until then, keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. Mm-hmm.